Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, it's the Breakfast Hello with me, Ryan Huang and Adrian Abraham. Well, you know that feeling, Adrian? You know, when you've been cheated or scammed, that deep sinking feeling? It's not one that I want to... I haven't experienced it personally, but we hear multiple stories from individuals who've gone through some serious, serious problems, right? And they don't know how to really deal with it or cope with it because if you're being scammed and the psychological toll of cybercrime, it does take its toll. Yeah, so the thing here is sometimes after the event has been done and this is something that continues to be on the minds of the victims. And this is where I'm trying... What I'm trying get at. This is something that apparently has a significant emotional impact when you talk about the aftermath of cybercrimes. Based on a global report by Rubik Zero's lab, the state of data security, it seems like the majority of IT and security leaders are reporting what they call significant emotional impact after cybercrimes. 92% of them reported such an impact and 52% expressed worries over their job security and 41% experienced loss of sleep and an alarming 31% feared loss of trust among their colleagues. So can you imagine if you know, you're responsible for IT, security, and then it's been hit big time, everyone's going to be pointing a finger at someone and that could be the IT guy. Yeah, it has to be the IT guy. I mean, that is your job at the end of the day, right? And then your following weeks, months could be just involving you facing so much pressure from all your stakeholders, your boss, you know, you name it. Well, we have on the line Steve Stone. He is the head of Rubric Zero Labs for Rubric to help us unpack the report. Morning, Steve. How are you doing today? Hey, how are y'all doing? We are doing great, Steve. Now, let's dive a bit deeper into this report. And it's quite interesting because it talks about something that's usually overlooked. What happens to the IT guy after a cyber crime has been committed? So, walk us through this report. What inspired you and the Singapore findings specifically? Yeah, great question. So, you know, we look at kind of what led us to go about this data study this way. As we started Rubric Zero Labs, and, and our job here is to do threat research on behalf of Rubric, which as a company is focused on data security. This is our first effort. We really wanted to start and use this opportunity to do the absolute top level. Like, it's so easy to get down in the weeds. We wanted to start with a broad view and we wanted to look at what are the impacts from the threat landscape on companies and teams and then us as individuals. We rarely get a chance to tackle all that in one project. So that was our focus here was what does this stuff really mean? What's really happening? What are the impacts? And how do we move forward from that? And I think, you know, both of you were just mentioning several things that that really jumped out to us. And I think if you look at the long view of this, the cumulative effect of all these cyber events and the stress and pressures of running a modern organization, they're producing a lot of wear and tear on our organizations, on our teams, and on our people. And we saw that at each level. We saw companies talk about losing clients and revenue. We saw teams talk about their executives not having faith in their ability to operate core functions. And then as individuals, you know, the impact of people not trusting us, losing sleep, additional stress on the job. So it was really interesting to look at all those layers in one fell swoop. Steve, the survey found that 92% of IT and security leaders in Singapore report experiencing significant emotional or psychological consequences following a cyber attack. Now, how does it compare to the global average? Yeah, so it's just below the global average. So the global average we saw for that same category was 96%. 
So then we looked at these IT and security leaders inside of just Singapore. It was just below that at 92%. So I'm not sure that there's a major difference there, but it's just a little bit less than Singapore. But we're basically talking about 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10 IT and security leaders are experiencing these real things in the last year. I think we should be paying attention to that. We should be figuring out how to work on that. Yeah, Steve, I'm always curious, you know, how it plays out when there is a report of a cyber crime or cyber attack. Uh, what's the process like, you know, what goes through the mind of a security leader after it's been informed of a data breach? What are the processes like? Yeah, another great question. It, what we end up seeing quite a bit is there's a lot of things that have never been brought together by an organization. And what I mean by that is we tend to think of it very much like you both were talking about in the run-up to this interview was we talk about the IT team. But when you're talking about that initial moment, we have something happening, you've got to have your legal team involved. You need your HR team. You need your operations team. You need your IT team, your security team. And so what I think is often overlooked, and I've worked hundreds and hundreds of breaches in my career. I've been very lucky to be at places that were very focused on those front lines. And what you see is organizations typically, that's what catches them off guard. It's not that they can't find something in the firewall or they don't know how to do threat hunting. It's what's really challenging is how do you make these very complicated decisions in very short time frames, often with limited data? You don't have the information that senior leaders think they're going to have in that first minute or that first hour. And it takes them time to figure out what questions to ask, how to bring these teams together. And then when you see that, that's when organizations become very successful. And we see some of that even in this report. We talk a lot in there about, you know, there still remains this delta between IT teams and security teams and how they prioritize securing an organization. That's a universal agreement. We all agree that these teams should be on the same page, but we're hearing very upfront that they're not. And we're also seeing that in our own experiences. And that is often where we see the first set of hurdles come from in an event response. Now, Steve, just following on from what Ryan said, um, what are some of the standardized questions that, you know, IT and security leaders need to ask when faced with cyber threats? Because, of course, it's going to have that psychological impact as well. But what are they going to do about it? How are they going to address it? Yeah, you, I love these questions you both are asking. This is, this is exactly the stuff I love to talk about. The biggest thing is organizations and, and whichever leader is in charge, he or her are having to make that critical decision. The first thing they have to figure out is, do they care about this? And I don't say that to sound passe about it, but that's really the ultimate decision. Do we care about this threat against our operation? That's a complicated question to answer. And we talk about it at Rubric all the time. All data is not equal. All data does not need to be secured to the same standard. So if you're a hospital and you're talking about losing medical records, you care much higher than if your marketing department, their depository of files is open and someone took your pending marketing flick for the next conference. Those are radically different events. Um, for us as a high tech company, we care greatly about source code and how we secure our client data. We care much more about that than what may or may not be in our corporate email. So that's usually the first thing is figuring out what's actually affected. And then right behind that, how much do we care about what's affected? Organizations that can answer those two questions quickly and seamlessly tend to do very well in event response. Organizations that struggle bringing those answers together is where the compounding problems come in that take days to weeks to months to really get to an effective response. Now, I'm talking to Steve Stone. He is the head of Rubric Zero Labs for Rubric, and we are talking about a report 
which indicates that 92% of IT leaders reported some psychological impact from cyber attacks. And we talk about 52% expressing worries over their job security, 41% experiencing loss of sleep, and 31% fearing loss of trust. So these are quite no stark numbers, Steve. So it is interesting to take into account the impact on you know, your colleagues, uh, the psychological impact. And this also will then impede on what's being up for investigations and the recovery process. Now, what sort of impact does this typically have on the investigation process? And also, what can colleagues do to support them? Yeah, so another great question. I think to start with the latter part, the most important thing colleagues can do is bring their own resources to bear. And we talk about this all the time with organizations that we work with. Organizations, whether it's a company, a government entity, whatever it is, there's a lot of capability inside these teams. There's a lot of great talent. The more of that you can bring to bear and the more of that you can spread out, the better your response is going to be, the more sustainable the work is for your teams. And so that's what we say to everyone is find what everyone is good at and find a way to bring that in. The communications team is rarely thought about in event response, but that's one of the most critical things. And if you don't get that right, it leads to a lot of work for everybody. And I can give a hundred different examples, but that's what we would tell colleagues. Do what it is you're good at. Don't try to become a cyber person all of a sudden. Bring your core tradecraft to the response. And then to the first part of that question, when we really talk about how do we look at some of this, I think one of the useful things that we talk about in the report is the impacts to organizations and what actually tends to be impactful and what doesn't, and then focus on those. And I know one of the things that might sound a little strange, but I, one of my favorite data points is one that almost doesn't matter. When we ask these organizations, if you're dealing with these cyber intrusions and you're having negative impacts, what are those? And only 5% of the case was their negative impacts to mm. the company's stock. I mentioned that one because that's what we all do. Like, let's be honest, right? We read about something in the news. We all go to Google. We pull up the stock ticker and we see if their stock is going down. I do it. I know everybody else does it. And what we're hearing from the data is that's actually minimal. It's almost negligent. What we're more focused on these really critical things about reputation, revenue, business loss. These are in the like 40 to 42% of how often they occurred in the last year if this organization is dealing with these. That's critical. And to bring those two answers together, what are the entities and colleagues and teams that secure our revenue, secure our reputation, make us who we are as an organization? And those are the teams that we need to bring in to help solve this, because that's what these real impacts are. It's not just on the network side, and it's something for you know the nerds in the basement mm. to focus on. This is a real business challenge. Yeah, Steve, you talked about how colleagues can support these IT and security leaders, but what about them themselves? What can they do to cope with the burnout in what is such a fast-paced environment? We think there's really one effective thing that we recommend, and we talk about this a little bit in the report, but in our experience, and we engage with a number of very senior cybersecurity leaders across the globe outside of Rubric with our own senior leaders to say, let's ask ourselves that very same question. And the very first thing that came up is, we have to create double capacity for these teams and these individuals. And what I mean by double capacity is, first, we have to create capacity for them to deal with these events. You know, they're averaging about 47 of these events in the last year that, that these senior leaders have to deal with, almost one a week. But they're having to do this on a nights and weekends. It's not their day job. This has to be part of the day job. They need capacity to execute that. The second part is, and again, if we stick with that 47 number, 
once we get our heads around that, it means that basically the intrusion that we worked last week, we need to apply those lessons learned to next week. And so we can improve and close gaps and make the impact smaller and smaller. That means we also need capacity for understanding what worked and what didn't, implementing change. And that's different than just working the events. That's why I refer to those as double capacity. That's the best thing we can do to empower these colleagues is give them the ability to do this as part of their job because that's what's already happening. Yeah, Steve, before we wrap up this conversation, can you share with us the fundamental questions to guide data security in an organization? There's several. One is, do you know where your data is? And a lot of organizations think they do, but you don't know until you actually look. And often when they look at that, they're able to say, we have too much risk on the board. Our data is in places it shouldn't be or whatever the case may be. Those proactive assessments reduce the damage that can happen during intrusion. That's one. Second, can the right decision maker see the right questions about the data? So if you're a lawyer in an organization, do you understand the sensitive data and where it lives and is it at risk? If you're the IT team, do you understand what part of your enclave it's in? The more these entities see the same thing and have the same viewpoint, the more they'll be able to work as a team, even though they're looking at it from different angles. That's the second piece. And then the third piece is, where is your data moving and creeping to? We have this term in IT that we talk a lot about called environment creep. And that just means that our environments grow year over year in unexpected ways. People are bringing in cell phones or laptops, or we didn't know that somebody bought a new server. Data creeps at a much higher rate. And there's a bunch of studies out there, but in essence, however much data an organization thinks it has today, it's going to have a lot more next year. And understanding how that data is moving and growing and staying ahead of that is going to be the third important thing that we talk about. And if you can have observability across those areas, you're going to be in a really good decision-making standpoint. And that's what we always encourage. Make sure you have the right optic, the right view, so you can make and implement the right decision. We've been chatting with Steve Stone, head of Rubric Zero Labs Rubric, talking all about the psychological toll of a cybercrime. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on the show this morning. Thanks for having me. This has been great. I hope you both have a great day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.